Well, it is great to be with all of you in worship today, and it's great to be with you. I'm honored to be invited into your home and to be able to spend some time with you today. And I just want to say that last week was a tremendous start to our annual four campaign. And so I just want to take a moment and just thank you all for being so incredibly kind, for being so incredibly generous, for, for loving people, not only here in this community, but all over our world. Last week, you gave over $15,000 um, to help not only two local nonprofits, but also to help have a big old baptism party over in Bangladesh. And so I just want to thank you for your incredible generosity. And if you are with us today, and if you, um, if you did not have the opportunity to give your 1995 yet, or if you did not get a chance to sponsor, to sign up to sponsor a couple of kids for Gifts for All God's Children afterwards, you can do that in our lobby. There'll be some people there who would love to help you do that today. And at the end of our time together this morning, we are going to be celebrating communion together. And so if you, when you came in today, if you did not receive a set of communion elements, if you didn't pick those up on your way in, and you would like a set right now, just hold your hand high up for a moment for us and a member of our host team will be happy to bring those to you. Now um, if again if you did not give your 1995 yet or sign up yet to sponsor a child or a couple of children you can do that today and you can do that next weekend. Next weekend is the last day of our four campaign and it also means that next weekend we're doing something brand new. Next weekend we are doing what we are calling serve Sunday. And so this is where we're asking everyone next week to come to church and be prepared to stay at church for just a little bit longer than usual because we want everyone to serve once and to worship once, right? So at both 9.15 and the 11 o'clock hours, um, we're going to have worship. We're also going to be set up in the gym and there's going to be a whole bunch of stations where we need your help to assemble some ministry items that are going to be used and given out by a number of area ministries that we work with all year long that's going to help people as they go through the Michigan winter and also some gifts of encouragement that are going to go to some local, uh, lo local first responders, people serving in our military as well as a number of our seniors. So you're going to help to bless all these organizations by taking part in our Sunday Serve Day next week on Sunday, November the 14th. All these organizations are going to benefit from your time. And if you are interested in helping us in supplying some of the items that these organizations are going to need that you're going to help pack next week, you can go to our website and on our Sunday Serve Day link, um, you go to our website right here, you'll see our Sunday Serve Day banner. There you will also find an Amazon wish list. Um, has all the things that those organizations are in need of for this winter. If you want to help by donating some of those things, you can click on that link and they will automatically, magically show up right here. You won't even have to touch them. They'll just magically show up here at church. And then next week on the 14th, you can help assemble those and put those together for those communities and those organizations. Now, if today is your first time with us or you were not here with us last weekend, um, our four campaign is our annual celebration of generosity. This is where we come together corporately and we celebrate what Jesus has done for all of us individually. And the way that we do that is we ask everyone to give a one-time gift of 1995, and then we take all that money and we give it away. And we give it away to some amazing nonprofits and ministries in our community to bless them and to help them love the people that our Heavenly Father has put in them in this community to love. Organizations and nonprofits that help take care of things like this. They handle hunger, medical care, housing, human trafficking, education, family stabilization, as well as community health. We have a number of ministry partners that we work with all year long. Organizations like Trinity Community Care, Crossroads Pregnancy Center, Gifts for All God's 
God's Children, uh, Victory Mission up in the UP, Ellie's House, House of Hope, and a whole bunch of other organizations. Um, but this year, during our four campaign, as like in every year, this is our chance to highlight a couple of those organizations and bless them and give them some very much needed, but also some much unexpected funding and support. And I say unexpected because, again, none of these organizations have asked us for anything. And so this is always a big surprise for them, and that's part of what makes it such a big celebration for each of us. And on top of all that, it also gives us as a church the chance to focus in every year on a very, very specific, a very core teaching of Jesus when Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, gathered his disciples together and he said this. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. You are to love one another by this, by this unique kind of love, right? The kind of love that actually lays its life down for somebody else. The kind of love that sacrifices itself for somebody else's benefit. By that kind of love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the reason why this is so important, especially in our world, in our day today, with everything happening in our world today, the reason why this is so crucially important right now is because of a subtle temptation. It is a very, very sub subtle temptation that every single one of us as followers of Jesus face. And that is the temptation to substitute devotion for action. Because if we are not careful, we can very easily become content with simply believe. Right? It's very easy to say, listen, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe Jesus rose again from the dead. I believe the New Testament. I believe, I believe, I believe. Me and God are good because I believe all the things that I was taught to believe. But when we actually take time and we open up the pages of the New Testament, we begin to read this for ourselves. What we very quickly discover is that following Jesus, right, following Jesus is actually very different than simply believing Jesus. That it's easy for us to fall into the temptation, all of us, right? It's very easy for all of us, me included, to fall in the into the temptation to make a point rather than actually making a difference. And so today, I, I want us to look at one of the most familiar chapters in all of the New Testament. In fact, if you are married, there is a good chance that you had some of these passages read at your wedding, um, but probably not the ones we're going to actually look at today because these sections of scripture, because they're so familiar, the truth is many times we actually lose the context of what it is the Apostle Paul is going to say to us in this section of scripture because in these scriptures, the Apostle Paul describes for all of us what it looks like as a follower of Jesus when we become discontent with simply believing Jesus and we actually decide that we want to start following Jesus. And let me say this before I jump in. This section of scripture that we're going to look at together today um, contains some very, very um, extraordinarily disturbing information. In fact, the truth is, um, it is so disturbing um, that, that for some of you, this is, this is this is going to be hard because you're going to see this in a way that you've never experienced this before. In fact, I'll tell you this. If, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are not disturbed by the time that we reach the end of the message, then I've not done my job. I've not been clear. Um, because this section of scripture that we're going to look, like is, look at is exceedingly disturbing. And one of the reasons why it's so disturbing goes back to something we said in our previous series a couple of weeks ago, which is simply this. That following Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, it actually requires us to do hard things. 
right? And if you're new to church or if you're new to Jesus, if you're new to reading the Bible, um, then this, this might sound a, a little different to you. And, and part of the reason that happens is because oftentimes people who do what I do aren't entirely clear about this. And so here's the tension in this for all of us, right? Salvation is free. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing, right? It costs you nothing. Salvation from Jesus is a free gift. And that salvation, that costs you nothing. However, following Jesus, following Jesus will cost you something. It will cost me something. Following Jesus costs all of us something. And so these challenging words that we're going to look at together today, like I said, if by the time we reach the end of the message, if I have not challenged you, if you do not feel challenged, then I have not been clear. And so we're going to jump into this very familiar section of Scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it begins in verse 1. And the Apostle Paul um, begins by telling us this. He says, listen, um, it's not enough to simply believe. Right? It's not enough to simply be correct. It's not enough to, to simply be right. You've you got to do something with what it is that you believe. Otherwise, he says, and what's on the other side of the otherwise is exactly what is so incredibly disturbing. This is how he begins. He says this. He says, if I, right, and, and he begins this by saying I, and really he's actually talking about we. But he says I because he's trying to be gentle with us, right? He knows that what he's about to say is tough, and he doesn't want us to feel like he's picking on us. And so instead of saying if you, right, he says if I. He says if I speak in the tongues, and this word tongues here just means languages. If I speak in the tongues of angels or of men and angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Right? In other words, he's saying this. Listen, suppose I had this supernatural ability. Right? Suppose I had this supernatural ability and I could speak in any language that was found anywhere in the world. And, and let's just suppose that I didn't study to learn how to do this. Let's just suppose this is a gift. It's a supernatural gift. Because in the previous section of his letter, chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about gifts and giftedness. And so he says, let's kind of continue that thought, but we're gonna, I'm going to throw some hyperbole into this. And so let's just suppose, let's suppose I had this ability, I could speak to any person anywhere in the world, and any single person would understand me because I could speak in all of their languages. In fact, let's also just assume that, that my relationship with God, I was so close to God, that I was so connected to God, that my personal relationship with God was so strong that not only could I speak in all of the languages of men all over the world, but I could also speak to the, to the angels in their own angel language. That's how tight uh, me and God are. He says, let's just assume that for a second. But, Paul says, I do not have love. Right? And this word love right here, the Greek word is the word agape, which maybe you've heard before. And, and it means like an others-centered kind of love, a kind of love that actually does something. It doesn't just feel something. Right? So the Apostle Paul says, okay, assuming that I had this incredible, this extraordinary connection to God, this, this incredible prayer life, the, the most awe-inspiring um, personal connection with God, and I don't do something with this love as it relates to other people, that I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just a bunch of noise, the Apostle Paul says. To which we think, okay, Paul, like really, I mean seriously? Like if you could actually do that? 
If you could speak to every human being on the earth and understand every human being on the earth and all of the angels, you could actually do that? Paul, how can you say, how, how can you say that's useless? And Paul says, listen, if it, there is not love for others, then it's just about me. Then all of this it is about me. So Paul, are you discounting personal devotion to God? And Paul says, no, I'm not discounting personal devotion to God. I'm discounting stopping there. What I'm discounting, Paul says, is trying to have this relationship with God that always just like, looks like this and never takes into consideration any of this. Because if our devotion to God, if it stops with a personal prayer life, it, even if it stops with worship, right, even if it stops with like both hands in the air, full-on worship, as necessary and as important as that is, the Apostle Paul says, if it stops there, if it stops there, Paul says, you need to understand from God's perspective, it's just a bunch of noise. And then he goes on. And he gets to people like me in verse 2, and he says this. He says, and if I have the gift of prophecy... Right, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Right? In other words, if you're one of those people who kind of has it all figured out, right? you're one of those people who likes to study, you, you like to learn things, and you kind of got it all figured out. Right? Somebody says John chapter 11, you say Lazarus. Right? You, you know the New Testament, you know the Old Testament, you've even memorized the maps. Like You have got it all figured out. Right? If anybody wants to know anything about God or Jesus or the Bible, you're like the Bible answer woman, you are like the Bible answer man. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, come on, even if you are that educated, even if you can fathom all of those mysteries, even if you have all of that knowledge at your fingertips, and you don't have love, Paul says. It's like, Paul, wait a minute, are you saying none of that is important? And Paul says, no, I'm just saying that if you stop there, it's still all about you. He goes on and he says this, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, right? And we think to ourselves, really, Paul? Like, really, Paul, are you discounting, I mean, that kind of great big faith? Like, are, are, are you discounting that, Paul? Are you, are you saying that that's not important? And Paul says, no, I'm just saying, listen, it's not complete if I don't have love. If I don't have love, faith even that can move mountains, it's just not Complete, even if you're that man, even if you're that woman who, whose faith is so big that other people, they kind of latch their faith on to your faith. If that kind of a faith, as big as it is, Paul says, does not express itself in this unconditional, others-oriented, servant-oriented kind of love. And this is the offensive part, Paul says. Then, you are, but remember, he's, he's soft-selling this for us, right? He's being gentle with us. So he says, then I am. I am nothing. And the Greek word here is the word uthen. Uthen. It means nothing and no one. You may be the Bible answer man. You may be the Bible answer woman. The Apostle Paul says you may pray prayers that are absolutely spellbinding. You may be the most faith-filled person in the world. But if you do not have love, the Apostle Paul says, then you're uthen. You're nothing. You're no one. It's meaningless. It's no good because it's not doing anybody else any good. Paul says our experience isn't enough. He says our skills and our talents aren't enough. He says even our knowledge, 
right? Even our knowledge is not enough. He says, do not think for a moment that your heavenly father is impressed with any of that. And then in this next section, the Apostle Paul says something that we would never in a million years expect him to say. He says, even our public demonstrations of giving are not enough to move the heart of God. He says this in verse 3. And if I give all I possess to the poor. And it's like, okay, Paul, wait a minute, time out here. You're talking about giving. I thought giving was a good thing. And Paul says, hang on, I'm not done. Because he's not talking about tithing, he's not talking about sacrificial giving, he's not talking about percentage giving, he's not talking about giving that's a habit of your life, that when you get something, you give something, he's not talking about any of that. The Apostle Paul in this context, he's talking about some kind of, you know, big demonstrative act of giving, right? Some big kind of a show or something with lots of fanfare, lots of attention, like, hey, did you see what Paul's doing? Hey, did you hear about what Paul's doing? Hey, by the way, did you see what Paul's doing over there? He's giving all that he has to the poor, right? This isn't about being generous, the Apostle Paul is saying, no, this is, the emphasis is all on me. It's all on you. If I give all that I possess to the poor. Right, and then to make his point, the Apostle Paul goes like clearly outside the bounds, uh, the rounds of, of reality, and he goes on and he says this. And in addition to that, not only am I going to give all that I possess to the poor, in addition to that, I'm going to give my body over to hardship. Right, a better translation of this is I'm going to sell myself into slavery. Right, meaning, like first I'm going to give away all the possessions I have to the poor, but then I realize that doing that, it's not quite big enough, it's not quite spectacular enough, that it's not showy enough. And so in addition to that, I'm going to sell myself into slavery, and when they give me the money for me, I'm going to give all of that away as well. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. This great, big, huge, demonstrative act of giving. I'm going to do all that, Paul says, but if I do not have love, I gain. Right, and your translation might use the word nothing, but a tra- better translation is the word emptiness. It's uden. You will have gained, Paul says. If you do this, you absolutely will have gained, but what you have gained, it's nothing. It's empty. It's uden. If there is not some part of us where we are wading into the messiness of other people to help other people, the Apostle Paul says, you are. But again, remember, I am. We all are, he says. We are Uden and we are nothing. We are empty and we have no purpose. Our faith is of no value because it's all about us. And it's not helping anyone but us. It's all about me. It's all about you. And it's like, okay, Paul, wait a minute. I'm I'm so confused. I'm so confused. And Paul says, I know, I know, I get it. I understand this is complicated. But listen... I'm not telling you to stop doing any of those things, Paul would say. I'm not telling you to stop any of that. In fact, what I'm saying is just don't fool yourself into thinking that those things are enough. Because you may be, the Apostle Paul would say, you may be the most disciplined person in the world. You may be doing everything to raise your family right and raise your kids right and raise your grandkids right and take care of your family. But he says, but listen, at the end of the day, isn't it true? Isn't that still about you? your kids, it's your family, it's your grandkids, it's your future, right? The Apostle Paul says, don't stop doing any of that. It's all good. Just don't let it stop there. 
Don't measure your devotion to God in terms of what you do for you simply because it's good for you. And it is good, the Apostle Paul would say. It is good. But if it's just good for you, if it's just good for you, then it's empty. It's Uden. So, six weeks or so ago, I'm thinking about this message, and I'm reading these verses, and I'm feeling actually probably what you're feeling right now. It's just like, wow, disturbing. Right? It's, it, it's, it's different. It's a challenge. It's, it's hard. It's heavy. And so I'm thinking about all this, and I was thinking, okay, if I was actually just sitting down and having a conversation with you, like, how, how, how would I say this to you? I mean, how, how would I say this? If, if we're just sitting down and we were talking about this, and you said, hey, have you ever read, and, and I said, yeah, and, and how would I express the significance of this, right, the, 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 the kind of the impact of this? How would, I, how would I share this with you? If it was just me and you sitting in a room together, um, it was still the significance of the Apostle Paul, but... But, but maybe not some of his, you know, not some of the extreme, maybe not some of the hyperbole. Um, well, how, how would I do that? And so I, this is what I came up with. If I raise perfect children, maintain my ideal weight, and achieve the perfect schedule, but do not have love, then I'm nothing more than a leaf blower at 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday. If I drive an electric car, and I wear only natural fibers, and I decline any coffee that is not fair trade but do not have love, then I'm nothing more than a phone ringing in a movie theater. If I take my family to Disneyland and the Holy Land, and I leave New Testaments in every room along the way but do not have love, then I'm nothing more than a meme on Instagram. And again, here's Paul's point, right? Here's Paul's point in all of this. Devotion to God, right? Devotion to God, our devotion to God, it does not stop with moral, behavioral perfection. Devotion to God doesn't stop even with sinlessness, right? Devotion to God, it isn't I have a clear conscience. Okay, God, you know, devotion to God isn't measured in terms of I made it through the day and I didn't. Right, God, I made it through the day today, and I didn't look, I didn't take, I didn't drink. God, did you notice? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. And, oh, by the way, God, did you notice that I did, and I did, and I did, and I did? Devotion to God, this is what Paul's saying, devotion to God isn't measured of what I did or didn't do simply because it's good for me. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, listen, all that is good. You should keep doing all of it. Don't stop doing any of it, but all of it. It's just the introduction. It's just the setup. Because the truth is this, and you know this. If all I do, right, if all I do is make me a better version of me, and it goes no further than me, I'm nothing more than a more annoying version of me. And again, I know this is hard, right? But this is the Apostle Paul. Think about this. This is the guy who memorized the first half of the book, met Jesus, then wrote the second half, right? He knows what he's talking about. He knows that devotion that is not in motion is not what we think that it is. That instead, and actually this is what separates Jesus from every other religion, if we want to talk about how, how do we measure our devotion to, to God, how do we measure our devotion, Jesus is the only one who says this, that separates him from all other religions. Devotion to our Heavenly Father is authenticated by love for the people whom our Heavenly Father created in his image. And listen, if you are not a follower of Jesus or you used to be, 
this actually might be the reason why. Because see, the truth is, this is where many of us, many of us unintentionally, as we were growing up, unintentionally, we got this wrong. Because many of us were raised in a way where we were taught to believe that our devotion to God was all about being good, it was all about being sinless, it was all about me not having any bad habits. And God, how am I doing? How am I doing? And God, how am I doing? And I did it again. And God, forgive me so I don't do it again. Please help me, God. Help me, help me, help me, God. And God says, listen, you're, you're good. Everything is good. But come on, all we ever do is talk about you. When our faith goes no further, right, no further than internal, private devotion, when it goes no further than, okay, God, how am I doing, right, when our faith stops, with our own attempts to be more godly, then our message to the world around us, the world that's watching us, very unintentionally, right, very unintentionally, often ends up sounding like this. Listen, I know it all, and I'm better than y'all. And listen, nobody wants this. Everybody resists this. Nobody wants more of this. But see, Jesus... Jesus is irresistible. In fact, anything that you resist about Jesus probably isn't Jesus. It's probably actually me. It's probably actually us. Because who in the world would resist grace? And who in the world would resist forgiveness? And who in the world would resist, I love you. I love you exactly the way that you are. I mean, who in the world would resist that? But see, when our message, even if it's unintentional, when our message um, stops with our devotion to God always being focused on me and how am I doing and how good am I doing and how, how am I getting better, am I getting better, am I getting sinless, am I, am I breaking all my bad habits, when our message stops with that, even if it's unintentional, we very much end up sending the message that, listen, we know it all and we're better than you all, right? So come join us, just not quite yet because you've got to get some stuff fixed first. Right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Who in the world would want to be a part of that? This is why the Apostle Paul tells us, listen, if we do not learn how to love outside of our comfort zone, we are uden and we are uthen. We are nothing and we are empty. I'm going to flip this around. So if you're counting lights... If you went over to Amazon, come on back just for a minute. Like, everyone's eyes up here. If you're not buying it, if it's just you think, okay, this is it. I knew that one day Joe was going to lose it. He lost it. It's this weekend, right? Crazy. Here's the only thing. This is what I want to challenge you. I'm going to ask you one question. I'm going to give you two answers. And I just want you to think about this. What is it that you are most grateful for? Right? When it comes to, to God, what is, it, what is it that you are most grateful for? Is it God's sinless perfection? Right? Okay, God, my life is a, a wreck right now. My life is going horribly right now. But God, I just want you to know the thing that helps me, God, the thing that gets me up in the morning, the thing that helps me make it through every single day, it, it's just your sinless perfection. I mean, Jesus, I know that you were tempted in every single way that I was tempted. And you know what helps me, Jesus, just knowing that you never sinned. Even though you went through all the temptations that I went through, you know what helps me? It's Jesus, it's the fact that you never sinned. Right? Is this what you're most grateful for when it comes to God? No. No, because the other option, right, is 
God's sacrificial intervention. Right? This is what I'm most grateful for. It is God's sacrificial intervention. This is what we sing about. This is why we worship. Right? This is what brings tears to our eyes. It's not when we sing about Jesus' perfection that, we bring te- that, that brings tears to our eyes and makes our heart jump. What makes our hearts jump is when we sing about perfect God who sent his perfect son into our disaster of a world to pay for my sin and to pay for your sin. Right? That's the gospel. That's what we sing about. That's what makes our hearts jump. It's God's action. It's his doing that makes our hearts jump. And that is also what breaks down our resistance to him, isn't it? What we celebrate at the epicenter of the gospel is not that God believed something. It is that God did something. And that's why, amen, amen. And that is why, right, that is why the Apostle Paul tells us that love for our Heavenly Father is authenticated, right, to God, but also to the world. Don't miss that. Our love for our Heavenly Father is authenticated by our love for the people who he created in his image. And there is this tendency that's inside every single one of us. It's in me, it's in you, it's in all of us as people, it's in all religions. Even going way back into ancient times for all of us, we want to keep our connection with God vertical. Because listen, if it's all about me, then all I have to worry about is me. If this is my connection to God, I don't have to worry about anything else other than me. But Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to be my follower, then we're not going to do it that way anymore. If you want to be my follower, you can no longer rate and gauge your devotion to your heavenly father like this. From now on, it's going to be like this. Because Jesus came to intervene in our world. His sacrificial intervention is what we celebrate. It's what we worship. It's what it means to be a part of Jesus' church. What if that had been the posture of the church for the last 2,000 years? Let's be honest. Nobody has ever resisted the church because we love too much. Nobody has ever resisted the church because we were too welcoming. What if the only reason people resisted church was because we actually believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God? Nobody has resisted church, nobody has resisted Jesus because we were too gracious, because we were too forgiving. But what people find easy to resist about me and us and church is we know it all, and we're better. We're better than you all. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, if that's our posture, right, if that's our posture, if that's how we're perceived, then our faith, it is uden and it is uthen. It is nothing and it is empty because it's not doing anyone but us any good. And see, listen, here's what I know about you. I'm your pastor. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You are the most generous group of people I have ever met in my life. You don't want to do that. And you do not want our church to be like that. And because of that, that means that all of us, right, all of us, all of us actually have to learn how to step outside of what is comfortable for us. 
And you don't have to quit your job, but you may have to quit something. And you don't have to give all your money away, but you may have to start giving more than you currently give. And, and, and you, don't have to, um, you don't have to go to a foreign country, but you do have to get out of your comfort zone. Because you have to find a way, all of us have to find a way to love the people, to actively love the people who are around us, the very same way that Jesus loved us. Because Jesus demonstrated in an unmistakable way what it looks like to do and not simply to feel something. That doing, not simply believing, is what changes the world. Doing, not simply believing, is what changed your world and my world. And that's what we want to follow Jesus into in our church. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. Father, we are so grateful that you didn't simply stop at belief. Jesus, we're so thankful that, that you didn't just simply stay up in heaven um, watching what was going on and thinking to yourself or saying, you know, somebody really needs to go down there and do something about that. As a Holy Spirit, my prayer for all of us in this moment, for our church, for those of us who are here in this room, for those of us who are watching online right now, for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Holy Spirit, in this moment, I pray that you would actually speak to us, that we would hear your voice, that we would listen for you, telling us what it is that you want us to do with what we just heard. And that Holy Spirit, that you'd actually give us the courage to act on the words that we hear from so Holy Spirit, in these next few moments, we're just going to listen. We're going to listen to what it is that you say to our hearts and what it is that you are calling us to do. Holy Spirit, we thank you that in all those times in our own lives where we can, uh, we, we can think about times where maybe we heard you saying something to us or we're pretty sure it was you speaking to us, but um, what we were hearing, what you were saying, we, we were just too afraid, if we're honest. We are just too afraid. We were afraid to act. We were afraid. We didn't understand what it would lead to. We didn't know how. We, we just made all kinds of excuses, but the truth is, if we boil all of it down, is we were just simply afraid. We, we were afraid to do what you were leading us to. We were afraid it might cost us something. We were afraid that we couldn't control it or understand it. And Father, because the truth is, you are gracious. I mean, you, you are loving. 
because that is who you are. You don't remove your presence from us even in the midst of our fear when we're afraid, even when we're afraid to take you at your word. Instead, you promise to forgive us and you promise to keep loving us, to keep loving us even in the midst of our fear. And so we ask in these next few moments that you would hear each of us as we personally and silently confess our sin, our failure to trust, our disobedience, as we confess all of that to you. good news of the gospel is that your heavenly father is the God who intervenes he acts he is not afraid to enter into the dirtiness of sin the emptiness of sin and fear and in that moment he meets you there and he tells you that your sin is forgiven, that he is your God, and you are his people, and he has made you, he has made you into a people that are loved and forgiven and known by his name.